This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. All right, well, welcome everybody to our Bible study uh, on the Book of Acts, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit using the Book of Acts. Uh, We are up to our ninth uh, session, and we are almost finished chapter 4. So we'll be picking it up from chapter 4, verse uh, 32, and trying to do as much of chapter 5 as we can. There's no rush, so we'll just answer the questions and dwell on some of the issues particularly whenever we see the Holy Spirit doing something and then um, asking ourselves uh, what does he do, why does he do it that way and does he still do the same stuff today? So most of the, the, the first four chapters of, of the book of Acts all have positive things the Holy Spirit does. He fills you up, he gives you power, he helps you for witness. Now on tonight's session we're going to see the Holy Spirit do something negative going to kill people. And we're going to ask ourselves, why is that in the Bible? Why was it necessary for that little piece of information to appear? And ask ourselves, does he still do that? Okay, and uh, so we'll see. All right, uh, but before we do, uh, we have a tradition here. What's our tradition? We ask Neville to pray. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to study your word. And Lord, we pray you'd soften our hearts and come amongst us by your Holy Spirit to teach us new things out of your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we will uh, read the notes from last week for those that weren't here, or even just to refresh ourselves what we were doing sitting inside the book So, our our, uh, part 8, Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is predominantly working on chapter 4. The public healing of the crippled man, which we find in Acts 3, by the apostles, Peter and John, attracts the attention of the temple leadership. The issue was not the healing in itself, an obvious miracle, but the preaching of the resurrection. The temple leadership was dominated by the sect of the Sadducees, who held to a limited canon of scripture, so not all branches of Judaism were A, reading the same Bible, or B, believing the same thing, which is exactly the situation you still have today. When we go into the Christian world, we discover that none of them have the same canon. Every Christian tradition has a different Bible, a different canon, a different way of... uh, of, which, of which, which they consider to be Holy Bible. This, this group of the Sadducees also denied the doctrine of the resurrection at the end of days. They, are, this is Peter and John, are held overnight and brought before judgment in the morning. Luke knows the tradition that legal proceedings must be done in daylight. In verse 4, this describes a numerical growing community of believers. What is not described It's the demography of the community. You don't know where they are from, how old they are, whether they are married, where do they live. We don't, the the book of Acts does not talk about its leadership structure or the community texts. What does our new group read? 
How do they read them? When do they read them? There are no formats of meetings, no description of prayers or behavior. Essentially, the book of Acts declines to provide details of what becomes known as the emerging church. We often say the book of Acts is the history of the emerging church. Great. But it's so light on any of the details as to what it actually really is. In the morning, Peter and John are questioned. Before responding, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we are promised by the Messiah that when we are indeed brought before rulers, not to worry about what we will say. That's from Matthew 10. The Spirit will speak for us. And here we see fulfillment of that promise. Also, we note that the disciples have received the Holy Spirit several times already by now, notably in John 20 and Acts 2. And we learn that one of the actions of the Holy Spirit is to fill the believer multiple times, particularly at times of need. One can therefore have the Holy Spirit while also being filled with the Holy Spirit in the future. And for me, that's actually quite a comforting thought, knowing that that it's great to have the Holy Spirit, it's, but when, when, when a future event occurs that might be quite stressful or I might be in danger or I might be in need, the Holy Spirit will come even more. And that's actually quite a comforting thought. So as part of his defense, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the Rosh Pinar, the chief cornerstone. A midrash talks about the building of the temple. The workers came across a stone that did not seem to fit anywhere, not into walls, not into the flooring or the pillars, so they threw it away. Finally, when the temple was near completion, the final stone that they need to put in was the supporting arch, the capstone, or the Rosh Pinar. And they were searching for it. And they found the stone that they had thrown away, and it fit perfectly. So here we find Peter in the temple using a verse with strong underlying temple themes being directed at the temple leadership. The reaction of leadership is that they would like to try and lie about the truth that they had actually seen. Seeing a miracle does not imply a future belief in God. They had seen a miracle, yet they sought to quiet the disciples speaking about it. One issue of leadership is not letting God lead. Despite the warning to desist, the apostles declare they must be witnesses of what they have seen and heard. Note that the Ark of the Covenant is actually most often called the Ark of Witness. And so it's something that you see. The people of Israel knew that God was in their presence because they could see the Ark. Every time they moved it, the Ark went before them, carried by Levites. The apostles returned to the community and we are actually given a prayer of the people. Not often do we ever get their prayers in scripture. Prayers are theology. They reflect the way we are thinking and feeling and often behaving. Jesus says, what's important is not what goes in your mouth, but what comes out. They quote Psalm 2 and imply that the temple leaders into the interpretation. When you, when you read Psalm 2, it mostly it looks like the nations are raging, and who are these people who are coming against you? And most uh, interpretations will describe a sort of uh, national movement outside of Israel coming this way against God. Here, it's used to direct against the temple leadership themselves. 
They request boldness in the face of adversity, and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit again. Twice in the same chapter. Not bad, eh? This is accompanied with a shaking of the earth. When the realms of heaven and earth meet, there is most often a visible geographic effect. Storms, lightning, clouds, thunder, and earthquakes. For whatever reason, when those two realms meet, there tends to be uh, a shaking on this side. Why? I don't know. It just tends to happen. And so... Can I contribute a, a yep. thought, a retrospective on, on last week? It's kind of simple, but it bears saying that um, this instance is the first time they've come up against opposition, the uh, apostles. And the one thing that they don't pray for is to the Lord, can you dial down the aggro that we're getting? Mm. They don't ask for relief for the impact that has occurred because of the, these miracles and their testimony. What they ask for is boldness and more of the same. More acts of power, more boldness, but not for a quiet life. That's a good point. Any other points from last week? So what we'll do is we will pick it up from Acts chapter 4, 32. And uh, we'll just read that bit to start with and then start talking about it. Oops, I think I've missed my notes on um, and, and then we'll see how far we get into, into, Acts, into Acts 5. So, <clears throat> um, we all read a verse. doesn't really matter. So we'll try and start that way, shall we? Sound good? And zigzag through. And zigzag through. Alright, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And later that the apostles speech, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, the Levite, the man of Cyprus, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so that's the end of our little section in Acts. Alright, so <clears throat> all the believers, now who, when does it say all the believers, how many we got here at the time? It's a bit higher than that. 5,000 5, now. Okay. The 3,000 that were converted in the day of Pentecost, most of those would have gone back to where they came from. So that we can't say that the church in Jerusalem from then was 3,000 people. Most of them were visitors from Most the Pentecost, it's fair to assume. Yep. So, but then the, when you get this impact of the 5,000 people converted, they, that would have been a substantial part. I mean, you know, that was added to the, to the church. Now, when the Bible says all, does it actually mean all? Right, most likely, most often, no. For example, 
Right. Yes. Like, for example, it'll say things like, David and all his army went to battle. But was anybody guarding the treasury? Was anybody guarding the north? It'll say, all Israel went to Mitzpah. So that means everybody suddenly left all their houses over there in Dan, and anybody could have walked into a Jewish village uh, in the Shreila and gone, wow, everybody's gone. I think I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. All actually doesn't mean all. What does it mean? A majority. Right. And what happens is when we get into the New Testament, we tend to think of interpreting the Bible in the modern period. And the word all in English, what does it mean? It means everybody. Okay? But go back 2,000 years, that's not what it meant. And so we have to remember. So it says all the believers. Which building in Jerusalem can hold 5,000 people? There isn't one. Okay, only the temple, but they're not in the temple at the moment. They were in the temple, and they've gone to some other place. We have no idea where that is. Okay? A majority of the believers, we don't know how many, it doesn't matter, but all the believers are a one heart, one mind. So this community, whoever they are, no one is claiming any of his possessions as his own. They share everything. So what does that sound like? Communism. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> now remember, remember what we're reading is the book of Acts. What genre is it? Yeah, sacred history. It's not a gospel and it's not an epistle. So we actually read it a little differently. So what, what, the, what the book of Acts is saying is this is how the early church behaved. What it is not saying is this is how all churches should behave. Especially when we get to the verse where it says they all sold their houses. What would happen if the entire church sold all their houses? What would happen within about 10 years? You'd run out of money. Okay, that's, that's, uh, that's what would happen. Eventually you'd have no more houses to sell because you've sold them all. Um, all the believers are of one heart and mind. So what's that reflecting in the community? They're not claiming their own possessions. They're sharing everything that they need. So how is the new community behaving? Like a kibbutz. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like a kibbutz. Okay. It's generous. It's incredibly generous. What else is it? It's compassionate. If you haven't got something, I'll make sure you get it. There's a lot of compassion being reflected in this, in this group. There's a lot of mercy. There's a, there's a lot of kindness being showed. So in terms of, of sacred history, what we're learning about the early church is it is generous. It is kind. It is compassionate. It's noticing the poor. If people are selling their houses, what does that imply? They are rich. Rich. So we have a mixed community of wealth and non-wealth. And the new community is, being, is, is saying, well, I've got something and um, I know that you don't have, so I'm going to make sure you have. Okay? Those are really good themes to, to, to take into the modern, 
modern period. We should have compassion to the members in our church. We should look and have mercy and, and have uh, kindness uh, to people in our, in our community. It's about social security numbers. Sorry? It's about social security numbers. Well, in the Middle East, what is social security? How does social security work? It's your house. It's your inheritance. It's the ability to give to the next generation. This community is selling their inheritance. That's a very interesting thing to do. Giving their inheritance away. Maybe not all of it, okay, but, the, but the, the social security is not thinking of the next, next generation. They're thinking of the here and now. Verse 33. With great power, the apostles continue to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And with much grace was upon them all. So what do you note about that verse? Well, they're still going on about the resurrection. Yeah. They haven't been silenced on that one. No, that's, that's one of the major themes for our early community. The mo- the, what's, what's really, really important is that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. One sentence right there. They don't have a gospel. They're not reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they are still preaching the resurrection because that's something that they saw. Okay? That's, their, that's their testimony. And they're saying what they've heard and seen Jesus do. Yes. The eyewitness. Not, not second-hand stuff, but it's the, uh, the real deal. The thing that'll stand up in court. The, the testimony of an eyewitness. Yep. Or, and they would have done it in pairs, I would have assumed. But like Peter and John, you know. Yep. The, and the two eye- people bearing witness, eyewitness establishes a fact. Yep. And two by two, you see that often in Jesus' uh, ministry. All right. With great power, who is continuing to testify? The apostles. Who else is in this community? 5,000 other people. <laughs> but for some reason, the, the text decides to tell us that the people who were most going out and telling people were the apostles. Well, what about the other guys? Do they not get power? Maybe they didn't. Maybe, maybe the, the ones who were brought in to the faith by the, by the witness of Peter and John, they didn't have as much power. I mean, in a few chapters' time, we get a hint that it's, it's spreading. It's the, right. the power and the witness is amongst others as well. Yeah. But, but um, for the moment, the, the text, for some whatever reason, decides to highlight the leadership. And, and even though we're told it's all the believers, we have a nice mixed community, but now we're going to focus that it's actually the apostles. They're the one that got the great power. They're the one that have the great testimony. And then it switches again, that there's no needy people in our community. Okay? From, the, for, from, the, from, from time to time, though every now and again, those who owned lands or houses sold them. Okay, nice, nice thing in plural. So they're quite, some of them are quite wealthy, which we see in the, in the movement of Jesus, in the Jesus movement. Who's paying for the whole ministry? The women, right? rich women. Right? They're the ones that Luke, Luke describes as the rich women who are paying for the, for the ministry. 
And uh, that is in the gospel, so therefore that's probably the, the way we should do mission work. I think, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> okay. Anyway, gets us men off the hook. <laughs> so these. So if you're rich and you own several houses, what do you do? Sell one. That's correct. It doesn't say that they sold absolutely everything. No one had any houses to go live in. It was horrible. They all lived outside in a tent. No. It, they, they sold their excess. Okay, if I've got three houses, I think I'll sell that one and make sure that everybody's got enough. That doesn't stop the guy being rich. The, the Bible's not against wealth. It's against a lack of generosity. It's a, against a lack of compassion. It's against a lack of mercy. It's not against wealth. So they bring the money from their sales, and where do they put it? At the feet of the apostles. Now, why, why are we told this? What is that, what is that, what is that showing us in the early church? Sorry? Accountability, Could be. Through someone who has more authority. It's definitely showing an authority structure. Like it's, it's not showing that uh, here we are, we're all absolutely equal, and I'll sell my house and I'll just give it to you. You figure it out. It's um, they, for whatever reason, this early community did have a high respect for the apostles. They were the ones with the power, they were the ones with the witness, and uh, when we sell our houses, we'll give them the money. Right? And, uh, and then they'll d- divvy it up. That creates issues, and then Acts will sort that out a bit later. But uh, when, when sacred history records a fact, it doesn't make a moral judgment on it. Just like it said, like the, in Acts chapter 1, how did they choose a replacement leader for Judas? Okay, we draw straws, which is not how we choose leadership today. Right? No one ever says, we need a new pastor, and how are we going to do it? Let's just, let's just roll some dice. Highest number wins. Okay? That's not how you choose leadership. That's not how you go for a job interview. You, you, it's in sacred history, but it is not a gospel. Right? And so here, again, the way that we've decided to do it is we'll sell everything, we'll give everything to the apostles. Later on, they'll say... That's not such a good idea. But for right here, it makes no comment. (coughs) Acts chapter 6 will make a comment on that one. Now we have somebody interesting. We introduce a new character. Joseph, who's a Levite from Cyprus. And he has a special name. So he has another name called Barnabas. (coughs) Okay, which is Aramaic. Son of encouragement. He sells a field he owns and he brings the money. And he also brings it to the apostles' feet. What's the issue there? He's definitely a believer. He's one of the community. He's not from Jerusalem. He's a Cypriot. He's from Cyprus. He's also a Levite, which is interesting. What's the Levitical rule in the Mosaic law? They can't own land. All the tribes get territory, but not the Levites. When you get to Numbers 35, you get a nice little description of 48 Levitical cities. 
scattered around the tribes. And each tribe is to give certain cities just to Levites. And the Levites will live there and even tells you how far from the walls of the town the Levites can farm to feed their town. But do they own any of it? No. Because what is their inheritance? The Lord. The Lord. The worship of the Lord. The worship of the Lord. Which means, if I'm a Levite and I have kids, he will not inherit anything. If you want to talk about a true kibbutz, that's the model of it. Okay? Not the early church, it's actually your Levitical town. Now we've actually found a few of those. I can't remember exactly where it is in Israel, but you can actually go to it. And you can actually see the, 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 the village. You can go, wow, this is a Levitical, one of the Levitical towns. This looks fantastic. So what's our problem here? He owns land. Right. So the, the, the traditions change. There you go. It could be possible. There's a couple of options. So let, let's work through this. First of all, he's not inside Israel. And he doesn't come from any of the Levitical towns. And he still knows his tribe. So what does that tell us? People knew their tribal lineage, even though they weren't in that land. Where's Paul from? He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Where's actual Benjamin's territory? Near here. Yes, it's near here. Where does Paul come from? Tarsus. Tarsus, okay. Somewhere in Asia Minor, Turkey. <coughs> so even though you were Jewish and you were outside the land of Israel, you still knew which tribe you came from. Which means that uh, our, our myth of the Ten Lost Tribes is actually, actually a myth. They, they're not actually lost. They knew, they knew exactly where they were. And that's most likely the reason why the Gospel of James, or the Gospel, the Epistle of James starts to the Twelve Tribes. They knew exactly who they were. And, uh, and you see somebody in Cyprus who's a, a, a Levite, and he owns lands. Now, how did he get his land? What are a couple of some of the options? Married. Could've. Yeah, he could have married a rich girl. And, uh, right, and he's like, oh, great, I got some territory. I never had that stuff before. It's fantastic. What shall I do with it? I think I'll sell it, honey, and give it to that guy. <laughs> okay, I'm sure that was a good conversation later on. Um, we have no clue. Could've, could've been marriage. Or, yep, Goldie, you could be right. It, it, yep, it could be that, um, that they, they had rules to obey in the land of Israel, but once you were outside the land of Israel, you didn't follow those rules. And what's one of the big, big rules you couldn't follow if you were outside the land of Israel? You couldn't come to Jerusalem three times a year, even though the text said so. And so it's most likely that uh, once you left the land of Israel, half the stuff in this book didn't apply to you anymore, which is interesting. Um, Jerusalem's still very important. You might go there a couple of times in your life, but you could not offer sacrifices in the temple, so you had to come up with a new theological way about how you got rid of your sin. Yes? Yes? 
You had to, if you weren't allowed to own land and you're a Levite, but I'm not in Israel where, I'm, where we have Levitical cities. So perhaps the rule doesn't apply to me anymore and we actually can live and, and buy and trade and sell. And maybe that's exactly what they were doing. And we see it reflected in our, in our sacred history. There's a believer. He's from Cyprus. He's from a tribe which traditionally shouldn't be owning land. He's got some. He's very generous. He sells his, his property, gives it to the community and makes sure that that everybody's uh, looked after. So here we see the right thing to do with your generosity, the right uh, way to have compassion, the right way for mercy. Next chapter, we will see the opposite and its effect. So let's read chapter 5. Um, let's read... How far shall we try and get through? Okay. Um, should we try all of it? Is it too long? What do you think? Okay, well, let's actually just try the first 16 verses and see how far we get. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain their own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you contrived the deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when I heard these words, he fell down and began to slap. Great fear upon all who heard it. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will hear you up. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear said to the whole church and all the world around the sun. In the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all of one accord and saw as much. No one else dared join them, though they were highly regarded by the people. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes both men and women. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. 
Awesome. Oh, that'll do for now. We'll, we'll see how far we get there. Okay, so <clears throat> we have this interesting event, uh, the death of, of two of the community. So the Holy Spirit, which has so far done positive things, now does something that's perhaps not so positive. And we've got to wrestle with it because it's in the Bible. So we have a man named Ananias and he has his wife Sapphira and they sell a piece of property just like Joseph has done and with Joseph things seem to go quite well for Ananias and Sapphira it does not go well and uh, and and what's the issue what's their big problem lying deceit yeah they're lying and they're deceive, deceiving, and they do it together. So husband and wife uh, do this thing to, 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 together. Uh, they bring some for themselves and they put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you've received from the land? What are some of the issues there? I think it's astonishing that Peter knew. Yeah, how did he know? I don't know. It's possible. The text doesn't tell us how Peter knew. And in good Jewish tradition, if it doesn't say, what are you allowed to do? Make it up. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously, that's what Jewish people do, and that is actually uh, Christian theology too. If it's not there, you've got to figure it out somehow. So we have a couple of options. One is, and the most obvious is, the Holy Spirit whispered in his ear, that is not the amount they sold. So what does Peter actually say? Like, what's his charge? What does the text say? Verse 3. Lied to the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's another character in that sentence though. Satan. The devil made you do this. Isn't that interesting? Right? This is one of those times, very rare, that the Bible uh, puts blame or such blame at the feet of, of Satan. Okay? You know, but that's the way he does it. He doesn't say, you did it. I mean, you did lie to the Holy Spirit. But who, do they, who does he blame? He blames Satan. Okay? This is a second temple period. Um, uh, when I use the word invention, that's, it doesn't mean it's made up. It, in the first temple period, you, you didn't have that phrase. You didn't have people running around saying, Satan does this and Satan made you do this and the devil made you do that. That appears, that language appears in the second temple period. So in the first temple period, God is in total control. God always is the one who smites evil. God brings uh, evil people to deal with you. Uh, anything that happens in the world is a direct hand from the Lord. So uh, when it says Satan enticed David to number the people, that's in, in Chronicles. Chronicles. So, so that's a post-exile. The post-exile thing. So what what Neville is, is referring to is that in Samuel, it'll say God inspired David to number the people, take a census, 
which is first temple period. Then there's the exile and we go into Babylon. And when we're in Babylon, what, what does their pantheon have? Their pantheon is fascinated with the spirit world. They have a definite, well-established idea of angels and demons and spirits and all that kind of stuff that influences the world. And the Jewish people look at it and go, wow, we, we kind of got that too. But we don't, haven't really fleshed it out much. And so they flesh it out. You know, uh, an interesting concept from Genesis 2 yep. of, you know, well, she did it and then, oh, well, Sure, so, you know, it's kind of that yep. opposite of that, where people are like, oh, you know, is, it, is this the problem? You know, lying to God, is it the serpent? Or yeah, yeah. It giving it to but him. It doesn't matter in the end. Uh, no, <laughs> the same result, yes. So in Genesis, you have the snake, the serpent, talking to Eve. And in the second temple period, they decide snakes don't talk. So who did the talking? Satan, the devil. And so eventually you end up in the New Testament where it talks about the devil talking <coughs> tempted Eve. And you're like, he doesn't say that in Genesis. But in the Second Temple period, they even gave the devil a name. They called him Samael. Okay? And he was in league with a guy called Azazel. And Azazel gets captured and thrown in the desert. That's where we throw the scapegoat okay? every uh, Yom Kippur. But in, in uh, Samael, he would ride the snake. This is just a Jewish tradition. Yeah? I mean, it's real. And Samael means venom of God in, in, in Hebrew. It's interesting. The, it's only in Revelation that we read that um, the identity of the serpent in, in the garden, that ancient serpent, the, the devil and Satan, it actually becomes explicit, but it's only in the book of Revelation. Yeah. Kind, of a, kind of bookending yeah. the understanding. So in the Second Temple period, when we come back from Babylon, we have a well-developed uh, theology of how angels interact. We begin to see them in books like Enoch, uh, yeah, Enoch, Ezekiel, Daniel. Angels have names, angels interact, angels talk, angels become messengers. Uh, and also the enemy has his fair share as well. And he gets his name, Satan, Satan, which in Hebrew means enemy. <laughs> But opposer. The opposer. And, uh, and in, in Chronicles, we rewrite Samuel and we say it wasn't God hurting David, it was Satan. And you get that here too. So Ananias has lied to the Holy Spirit and who we're going to blame? We're going to blame the enemy. Okay? Somehow this guy came in, twisted, lied, whatever, but you fell for his trick and you have a lot allied yourself with him and you have lied to the Holy Spirit. So what does that imply? Theologically. <laughs> How far are you taking this? If you're saying you don't doubt the things that are saying the devil, the devil may be good, that's not what the text says, but the devil may be good. The devil thinks of his heart still the pronoun is that uh, Correct, and he's going to and he's going to pay for it. But it's like, how does Satan so fill your heart? Right? So there's the 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 accuser is there. It's not. Yeah, without without a doubt. And um, and so. 
Absolutely. Oh, Jewish people believe in both. Right? In, 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 in Jewish tradition, they have a... Uh, they, they wrestle with how much free will do we have and how much is God in control? Right? And, and what's their answer? Their answer is not to come to any conclusion. <laughs> right? What they'll do is they'll just say it's both. And uh, in, in our world, in the Protestant, in the Christian world, we've, we've, we push the two to one side and we sort of kind of, uh, it's either one or the both, and we've got different traditions, which will go down the Calvinist line, and there are those of us who are a bit more free will. And, uh, and when in Jewish tradition, they'll say, actually, it's, it's both. God's both in control and you have your own free will. Here, you get both. Satan has filled your heart, but at the same time, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. So what theologically can we do? We can lie to the Holy Spirit. What is filling in the blanks. I think what's going on here is that um, in an analogy with what happened in the garden, Satan said to him, well, okay, they're wanting to have it both ways. They're wanting to have the respect that comes from giving, their, giving money to the apostles on behalf of the poor, but still having some of the proceeds for themselves. And Satan says, okay, so who's going to know if he holds some back? Yeah. And um, Ananias thought, no one's going to know. But they However, do. And there's a, there's a, uh, his, a Hebrew Bible, Old Testament precedence. This has not happened in this way before, but there is an encounter where people were, were uh, where someone withheld uh, booty, which he had captured and hadn't given it to the Lord. And he also died. And anyone remember his name? Yes, well done. Yes, Achim, which is in Joshua chapter 7, uh, where the children of Israel go and conquer this place. And they're supposed to give everything back. But one guy doesn't. He withholds a little bit. And they find out. And he dies. And that same sort of idea. It's just a, a similar thing. We've, we've withheld something back. And we're actually dying. But it's interesting, you can lie to the Holy Spirit. Which is an interesting theological thing to say. Isn't it? I mean, we can lie to ourselves, we can try and lie to God. But here, the text says, lie to the Holy Spirit. And, um, and have kept some of the money that you've received for the land. And uh, he then has a little bit of a... a, a he says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Well, of course it did. It was, your, it was always yours. Um, but, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal. So whose fault is it? This is where you get your free will thing into it. Who are we blaming here? The guy. <laughs> so I'm wondering if anyone else has the same question, but it's the, the sort of questions that Peter is asking is making me wonder, you know, if Ananias had said, you know, look, I sold a piece of property, you know, I need to keep such and such amount for this purpose, but, you know, if, if he was upfront, but, you know, and let's say if he had, you know, a good reason. Right. You know, but, you know, if he was honest and not deceitful, you know, would he have been different? the apostles we're going to assume I guess it's everything here the 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 hint is they deliberately hold some back deceitfully like they deliberately don't now we don't know the reason why 
maybe we are, what, would, what would some of the reasons be, do you think? I mean, it's all, it's all going to be a guess, of course, because it's not actually in the text. But why do you think this family couple would actually do such a thing? Yeah, there could be there could be some covetness there. Yeah. Yeah. We were. I have no idea. I mean, are they are they nervous? Uh, are they? Do they actually love money? Are they actually actually quite wealthy? And, and they or are they actually are they poor? And they don't want to get more poor. Uh, we have no idea. Um, they sell a piece of property. That doesn't mean they don't have other property. So. For whatever reason, they, they uh, do this thing and the charge by Peter is that, that they've lied to the Holy Spirit. Somehow he, he knows. What's interesting at the moment is who's the, in charge of the church, the early church? Sounds like Peter. It does indeed. And um, when you get to Acts 15, who's in charge? James. James. Yeah. And in Galatians 2, who's in charge? James. James. Acts doesn't tell us how the switch happens. Okay? But something happens for Peter where he stops being the leader for whatever reason. And it's given over to, to James. And we're not told why. It could be that this might be one of the one of it, that, wow, better be careful when talking to Peter, you might die. <laughs> okay? So let's choose a leader who's a little softer. You don't know, we have no clue why. The, the, the Bible does not decide to give us any reason as to why James becomes the boss and Peter takes a, a different role, becomes quite the itinerant guy, same as, as, um, uh, as Peter. But for right now, Peter's in charge, Peter's the leader, we're putting at the apostles' feet, and Peter is the one that's giving him the, 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 the hard talk, not any of the other guys. Okay. In fact, none of the other guys are mentioned at the moment. Um, so in part of his question, he's asking them, you know, you, you, you've, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. God. Okay. So the equation here is, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God, and... Uh, and then when Ananias hears this, he falls down dead and he dies. And great fear seizes all who heard what had happened. What are they afraid of now? You can die. Oh, you, yes. It's like, come join the Jesus movement. Be really careful what you say. Be I'm, careful what you think and what you do. Be careful what you think and what you do, because like, they know. Okay. And, and in fact, it's going to even tell us that some people are even afraid of joining the Jesus movement. Some are not, and the community continues to grow. It says that some, some are a little bit hesitant because we've heard something. So why do you think our sacred history has to include this? It's here. It's, it's for us. Why do you think? Do you think that this kept happening? <laughs> it's, uh, I, I do think going back to the end of the concept of like if if you go back to Genesis two through four, Genesis two and three, 
like you have this uh, with Satan in the blame placement. It's interesting that like when you see Adam and Eve or um, or uh, Cain, like they wanted to practice it to God. Yep. And it's obvious, but here it's you know well it's still. It's not as obvious, is it? Not as obvious, but it's the same thing yep. with the same results. Yep. <laughs> yep. In, yeah. In, uh, in, in Genesis, the death it doesn't occur instantly. Here it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, why do you think it's here? Why? What, 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 what messages is this sending to the new early Jesus movement? Okay, I'll ask a different question. Do you think this is a sign or a pattern? I think it's a sign. A sign. Yes. Because a pattern would that infer what? Every time you lie to the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die, right? But that's not what happens. Okay, we've had two thousand years of church history, and there are not that many stories where. Where, where you get a pastor going up to somebody and saying, you lied to the Holy Spirit, everyone falls down dead, and then you go, okay, it, that's not a pattern. However, it does appear to be more of a sign. So what's the sign to us? What are we learning from this sign? It's in our text. So we, it, it, it can't, or it could actually just be a story, but I don't think it is. I think there's, there's things we can learn from sacred history. That Holy Spirit is not just something, it's person. Mm -hmm. So you would read it as a, that this tells us what about the Holy Spirit? How you can lie with the Holy Spirit and God is the same. How you can lie. And you must say truth. That's it. No, I'm not following you there, Lila, sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a... Uh, uh, you, uh, you have to, uh, for me, it's the uh, Holy Spirit, if it's in you, already knows what's going on and how you can I mean, speak loud with something not is true. And after it's uh, like we have to be honest with Holy Spirit and with God because uh, He already knows everything, what we think, what we want to do. It's just... Uh, of course, I don't want people who die, but right now it's okay people stop having fear of that. When people can lie, okay. so do whatever. Brings in the, uh, an element of holy fear. Okay? Yes. Yeah. It's, I, I think, f f when, I, when I look at this, this text, I look at it and think, okay, Ananias and Sapphira are not perfect. Yeah. Like they didn't approach the apostles as perfect people. Who, who made one sin and then killed over and died. I mean, God could have killed them for all kinds of sins if that was the issue. Yes. So that's not the issue. Right? So, something is the issue. And, and, uh, and, and the Bible's trying to give us a sign about something. It's not, because anybody else in that room has sin. None of them would have been perfect. So, so for, some, for some reason... 
This, this story is, is here to tell us about the Holy Spirit, to teach us something about him and about, and about God. Um, and it's something we should obviously learn because it's serious. Maybe it's, um, it can be considered as a sacrifice. And if you compare it with Cain's sacrifice in the Old Testament, um, we had a lecture this morning and our teacher said Cain's spoiled words that he hold the best thing from the inside back. That he, he um, offered something not, not worth for offering. Yep. And for the best information, maybe it's kind of a Could be. system that Cool. That, that Cain-Abel thing is an incredible story, isn't it? I mean, um, first of all, who tells them to offer sacrifice? No one. They, they do it, and we have a grain and, a, and, a, and an animal sacrifice. And God, through that entire chapter, only talks to Cain. He talks to Cain before the murder, and he talks to Cain after the murder. For no reason, for we, God decides to talk to Abel. He could have. He could have, you know. God talks to Cain and then says, Ooh, this isn't going to work out well for Abel. I think I better warn him. Hey, Abel, got a word for you. Run. I'll, I'll keep him busy. Okay. Why are you still here, Abel? Run. We don't know why. Um, so it's an incredible story. Um, and here we have this, this incredible story as well. We, we, we encounter this family that decides to deliberately, and we all do deliberate sin, but here they deliberately wish, wish to wish hold something. And, we're, and it, it's juxtaposed with the Levite who sold everything. And now we have these other guys whose tribe we do not know from. Uh, and, uh, and, and they do something that that's, uh, ends, in, ends in their death. Not quite fully flushed out, and obviously everyone else is sin, but I believe in Leviticus there's no, no sin or burnt offering for someone who is pre-contrived to sin. I think that might be true. Most of the sacrifices in Leviticus are actually for unintentional sins. Yes, and, and they, like, they literally converse with each other and like, are we going to do this? Are, are we going to lie to them? Yeah. To be people, obviously, yeah. and to be God as well. But, I mean, again, Peter, I'm sure, can keep some sins of his own that he did, but one thought. Well, okay, some reason as to why, why we think this is here and what, what sign it gives us. So Ananias hears, he falls down dead, great fear seizes, seizes all that has heard and happened. When the young men, then the young men come forward, they wrap up his body, carry him away and bury him. Uh, about three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. Uh, Peter, again, he's the, the chief leader at the moment. Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And she says, yes, this is the price. Peter then says, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry out also. At that moment, she falls down dead. Uh, the young men come in, find her dead, carry her, and bury her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So, 
the, ch a, the charge for, for her is, how could you agree to? Test. Test. Yeah. And uh, the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so it's a, there, there's, def there's definitely not a pattern here, because we don't see this happening in the rest of the 2,000 year history of the church, uh, unless you guys know of other times where this has occurred. I, I don't. It's not in any of the church fathers, I can tell you that. Um, but here, we, we are definitely instructed that testing the Holy Spirit is not a good idea. Okay? And uh, the Holy Spirit has come in power. The Holy Spirit has filled these people up. The Holy Spirit has made them bold. And um, so what are we learning? What's a, what, what's a positive thing that the community is learning about this? There's real power here. There is. And they have not, I mean, some of these folks haven't seen that many really cool miracles happen. They've kind of seen some healing. They didn't see the resurrection. And now you're saying, oh, perhaps this was a group. Everyone's there. They seem to die on the spot. See it happening again. It's like, wow. We're dealing with real power. Re Halfway measures won't do. We're going to be all at Yep. Because they've seen, they've, some of them have seen the actual crippled man who's healed. So they've seen the, a positive thing of the Holy Spirit. Some of them might have even been around since Pentecost, not many of them, with the tongues and things and some visible stuff. Some of them would have seen the visible shaking, because when they would have prayed, give us boldness and the shaking. So they've seen the power, and they now see some, some, some death. Seeing a negative side to the power, what does that actually do for you? Fear of the Lord, it gives you a certain appreciation of that power, I think. That. The Holy Spirit, oh, he only does good stuff. God's only into the good stuff. Yeah, this is a great God. He only heals, he only, you know, he solves all our marriages. He's, you know, he's, he's just, a, and what would that, what type of God would that lead to? If you only had the one-sided view of the divine. Well, sure. <laughs> Does but, this mean you, will not, you don't have to repent, you don't have to change? Just get all good and stay, whatever? It certainly makes God look like the bank man and, yeah. the, and the big daddy who gives only blessings and he's your crutch. And so we, we, I think as a sign, it does just put, it gives the balance of the Lord. Yes. You know, is that uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That God is love, yes. But he is also the all-consuming fire. He is your savior and your redeemer. But he is also going to be your judge. And we will all stand before him and give an account. He is the creator of the universe who loves it so much that he will intercede. But he is also going to can flood the world and consume it with fire. You know, there's these, these elements of the Lord. And when we lose one side of God, what, what, what in, in, in the modern church... When we, when we take away the idea of God as a judge, God the commander of the heavenly armies, God who can slay the firstborn of Egypt, what do we do as Christians? It kind of infantilizes us believers to think of God as someone who only gives us things. And what it can do, I think, is sort of take away our agency is to, to sort of choose to, to make that free decision to follow him. Mm -hmm. um, if, 
It's not really a binary choice. Like, sure. The only thing to follow now is sort of, you know, we get sort of candy trickling down. Yeah, I'll follow Jesus because the, the Mercedes is going to give me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, 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 it doesn't like make us into human beings that are sort of exercising choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one thing that can show there. And another thing is um, Marxianism. You know, you know of this this guy, the the guy that he looked at the Hebrew Bible and he just he just couldn't reconcile the God of the Hebrew Bible with the God of the Greek Bible. He's like, no, I can't see that. I, I only see in, in I look at the Hebrew Bible and I see the judge and the the, the 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 vengeful and the one who pours out wrath. And then I get to the New Testament and oh, it's oh, so wonderful. Must be two different gods. Yes. And, and, and we've got that alive and well today in, uh, in the form of uh, Andy Stanley, son of Charles Stanley, wrote a book that said the church needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. You're like, what? Right? We just, you know, it's like, hang on a second, you can't do that. And I think one of the things that Acts chapter 5 reminds us is actually, you know, you be careful. God is incredible and he does fill you with his spirit and he, and he, and he does give you power and, and he does give you boldness. But also be careful. And it's a reminder of the holiness of God yeah. and that he really cares about what goes on in secret. He knows and he cares. He knows and he cares, yeah. And but the, for me, the, the interesting question is, did Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, are they, did they blow it completely? Or will we meet them in heaven? Now, I'm wonder, just chipping in a thought here, I'm wondering whether this could be what is mentioned in John's epistles as a sin unto death. In other words, you're not allowed to pray for this. This is going to happen. These people are going to die. But that's not the complete end for them. But it's an object lesson. And the object of this lesson was to bring this, this fear of the Lord, this this appreciation that Could be. God knows and really cares about this stuff, about what goes on in private. Could so, be. I don't think, what I'm saying is, I don't think that we can conclude that Ananias and Sapphira blew their salvation in just one go. Right. Yeah. I don't know if this, I don't think this is the sin of the Holy, against the Holy Spirit, no, or group, whatever that's called, yeah. Uh, the unforgivable sin. Um, yeah, I don't think that is it. Some people might, I'm not so sure. But I think it was, it's in, in our scriptures here because it was a standout event that shook the church and we have. And we'll have it because the next thing tells us. Yeah. So, um, the apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Uh, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade because of the sheer size and number. This is the only space in Jerusalem that they could do such a thing. Um, so what's interesting about that verse anybody who's doing all the signs and wonders the apostles okay it gives you this little group of leadership and when it says the apostles how many do they mean at this stage well we're not 100% sure because the book of Acts only seems to mention a few of the apostles remember the sacred history of other traditions like yep the, the tradition that uh, after, after uh, Acts chapter 2, the apostles 
divide up the world so that they can begin to go forth and, and, uh, and evangelize. Mark goes down to Egypt, Thomas goes to India, uh, Nathaniel shoots off somewhere else, and, and that might explain the reason why they never appear, because they've actually already left. And, uh, and, and there might only be six or seven left, and they're still called the apostles, uh, as opposed to the six that remained. Um, but whoever it means, the apostles are performing the miraculous signs. What about the other guys? This is kind of like the effect of the, the fear that you were talking about earlier. Like if you see the negative things that happen, there's some of that. And it almost like, uh, are you talking about verse 13? In verse 13, it talks about this sort of increased reverence. Uh, in verse 13, yes, they do. No one dared join them, yeah, even though they were highly regarded. <laughs> yeah. So even if you're, if it's almost like you're lifted up higher, and yeah. you're creating favors of authority, yep. just imbuing that more authority on you. Yes. The, 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 what would be the result if only the apostles kept, were the only ones who could do miracles? What does that turn them into? could do. Didn't turn to me like the Superman. But for whatever reason, it, it, at the moment, it's just them. Later on, the Book of Acts is definitely going to spread it around a little. We're going to get other people doing wonderful stuff. But for the moment, the text says, the apostles perform signs and wonders, so their esteem is definitely going to be highlighted. They continue to meet in Solomon's colonnade, uh, colonnade and um, on the little map, uh, where does that mean the Sanhedrin meet? In the um, in the royal star. The royal star. Yep. Yeah. So, not so we are. We were telling that we don't know how many apostles we had, but in chapter six, uh, verse two is written: the twelve uh, convocated the multitude of the disciples. Said, uh, so it's got the twelve there. Okay. Good yeah. stuff. So, mm -hmm. there. Um, so in this case, we still haven't got a clue why the rest of the believers are, are not doing signs and wonders, although they will in a minute. There is fear amongst the community, which seems to make people hesitant to join. But some people are nevertheless overcoming that fear. And more and more men, and then the addition of women, believe in the Lord. As a result, we end up with this, people are brought the sick into the streets, laid them on the beds and mats so that at least... Whose shadow can cover them? Why not anybody else's? I don't know. But for some reason, again, the text highlights on Peter. Not, not sure why. Just seems for him at the moment, he's the head honcho. And when he falls from grace or lets James take over or however it is that, that James that takes over the church, that's not going to get mentioned uh, at all. Um, and so, even though they might have a fear of Peter, they definitely know he has some sort of power. And um, who are the people who are bringing the sick into the streets? Who are they? Jews. The Jews, yes, of course. Uh, they live in Jerusalem. Are they members of our community? Nope. Nope. Nope, that's... Um, There'd be no need for members of our community to put um, the sick into the streets. What, if you were a member of our community and you were sick and you needed to get healed, how would you do it? 
<laughs> you would go see them. Yeah. That's, um, so it, most likely these are not members of our community who are getting healed. Now that's an interesting thing. So when, often when we have healing crusades, who goes to these healing crusades? Do they? No, no, no. Like if you have a normal uh, uh, in a church gathering, you know, it's bringing the sick to get healed. Who normally shows up? The church. Yeah. Yep. It's true. Most of the time, it's the church, because we believe that God heals. Amen. We do. And here, you've got non—they're believers. They believe in God. Most likely, the people who are living in Jerusalem are actually where, where the temple lives. Most of them probably actually do believe in God. Right? Um, uh, the, but they are, are not part of our community, and yet they are receiving, receiving healing just purely from a shadow. Yeah. Okay. Can, I, can I share a thought about Peter? Just wondering maybe an idea about why he is entrusted with these miracles. Um, and this goes back to what happened on the night before when Jesus was betrayed. They're walking out of the, um, the meal they had together, heading for the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus turns to Peter and said, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, but I will pray for you that, um, um, that you will stay strong and when you have recovered, strengthen your brothers. Now that is interesting because Jesus doesn't say, I just told Satan to get lost, hands yeah. off my man. This is, in a very profound sense, a kind of leadership training for Peter, who is going to have to be entrusted with such an enormous amount of responsibility and temptation. And so what is, happens to Peter is he ends up denying the Lord, as we know, and he is just devastated by that. Even Jesus laid it out in detail, you know, the clock, cock will crow twice, and by that time you will have disowned me three times tonight. Mm. And... And he, it says he went away and whipped bitterly, wept, wept bitterly. Um, but I think what happened there is that Peter gets a wound in his spirit. In other words, this is a permanent and public failure in, in his you know, scar on his character. And it's, I find it analogous to what God did to Jacob when he wrestled with the angel and and then the angel touched the fire of Jacob and he gave him a limp for the rest of his life. And so we have here a picture maybe of Peter who ends up with what you could think of as a spiritual limp. This thing went with him all his life. And people knew that he, he, was, a, he was a failure, but he was forgiven and he was restored. And because this was so, you know, this wouldn't have been a secret amongst the, the fellowship. And because of this, Peter was... In the end, he was safe because he couldn't get away with any stupidity that he was much better than everybody else. But he was an object of grace and restoration in the name of the Lord. Do you see what, I mean? see what I'm saying? And I think Paul also got, got a similar treatment, particularly in terms of the thorn that was given to him, thorn in the flesh. I mean, he, he also had the token that he, he went around killing. Um, we did, you know, he was responsible for the death of certain believers. But then, because of the, the greatness of the revelations that he received, he realized that God had sent him a thorn, which was the circumstances around him that meant that his life 
Well, you could describe Paul as a riot waiting to happen <laughs> in, in terms of his ministry. And he had a reputation for this. You know, and so Paul turns up, it'll, you know, and all hell breaks loose, which is not a bad description. And so Paul had to carry that and he, as, a, as an aspect that kept him humble because of the greatness of the revelation that he had been given by God and the responsibility to, to play it straight. And so I think maybe this is, for me anyway, this is a reason why Peter is entrusted with all this power, because they know that he can't fake it. He can't, he can't convince anybody that he deserves this power or he's anything special, but he's a man forgiven by God. Cool. And the interesting two verses, uh, 13 and 14, where it says, no one dares join them, even though they're highly regarded, nevertheless, more and more people believe and were added. So you're getting this. Some people are too afraid to join, and some are enticed to join. So what is that? What's the positive and the negative there? What, does the, what, what is the good thing about having the fear of the Lord imply? It means that those who join are serious about it. Yep. They're not there for the ride. They're not, they're not, the half-hearted believer is, is, is sort of pushed away. Right? You know, the half-hearted believer is like, well, hang on, this is actually serious. You've really got to take this seriously. You either jump all in or you're all out, like as, as we find in Revelation. Don't sit on the fence. Could be. Oh, we're not sure how much. Well, they kept some. But yes. They didn't give all. Is they, is, yeah. they weren't all in. And, uh, and, 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 and we find in Revelation that God actually really doesn't like fence-sitters, does he? Just, just, just stop being lukewarm. Be hot or cold. Just be one or the other. Um, and the lukewarm ones, the ones who they didn't come and join the movement, but there were those that were hot to trot, and they did join the movement, and they took, took this, uh, this very seriously. No, it doesn't say that at all. So, I'm, I'm not to try just a bit, um, because it, it, it's, for, so it could probably have been just the intent behind the purpose of it. It might be that, that reason, you know. Sure, absolutely. That's why the Holy Spirit chose to... Yep, to single these, not this... Not the keeping some of it. Um, right. Yeah, there's, there's no command that the, the, that the community gives itself that says, we will do this. That any of this is recorded. They may have. That, that, that actually might have been a rule, but we don't know because it's not there in the text. Um, the and we have an example, a precedent from Jesus who, who criticizes the Pharisees for having man-made laws where they said that if you have a an inheritance and you call it korban, in other words, a gift for the temple, That's you right. can get away with not doing what is right to your parents, not in the fourth commandment, to love your mother and father in substance. So I think if in that situation to apply it, that if Ananias and Sapphira said, yes, we sold this land, but we need to keep a bit of it back because we, of our obligation to our parents, for example, yep. and we're giving this, I don't think that would have been a problem. Uh, right, I think that would have been a, a yeah. 
money and gives this. So it's yeah. the deceit trying to get away with, well, trying to have it both ways, in other words, appear yeah. to be absolutely generous and actually... Yeah. Um, and and because they lied, as it, Paul has said, they tested the spirit, lied to the Holy Spirit, and lied to God. Yeah. And so they, they definitely did. You had a, a question? Oh, yeah, we had verse four or five. Peter says, "Did it belong to you before it was sold?" Yep. Yes, it did. Yep. After it was sold, was it? Uh, was it the money at your disposal? You know, it was disposal. You could have given it, yeah, to to mum. Oh yes, it's a deliberate, deliberate lie. Yeah. Um, so the positive side again in verse 16 is crowds gather from the towns around Jerusalem. So it's not just Jerusalem who's affected by our, our emerging church. It's um, uh, everyone around. And that would have included Bethlehem and you know, Mozart and Emmaus and these places who bring their sick and those tormented by evil spirits and all of them are healed. healed. Um, it doesn't. So it doesn't say that they first became believers and then they got healed. It doesn't say they, they were healed and then they all became believers. It's um, what what it says is they brought their sick and they brought their demon possessed and the kingdom of heaven moved. They were healed. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, Jesus, he could never stand demons. doesn't matter where he was. He never left them alone. And uh, he never left sick people alone. And I think that's a, a good... And again, the early church does exactly the same thing. It's a great model that if you're going to be compassionate, go out and have compassion. And if you're going to heal, you go heal. And when you meet the enemy and you meet a demon, do you leave it alone? No, you don't. You go and get it. And, uh, and they did. Maybe there are occasions when, you know, when Jesus walked by a person, well, let's take the guy begging at the beautiful gate. Jesus, I think, would have passed by him quite a lot of times. Hmm. And the Spirit said, no, leave Not him for yet. Peter. Yeah, that is interesting, yeah. Uh, you know, I have plans, just, just carry on. Yes, because he'd been there 40 years, <laughs> yeah. which means he would have been there when Jesus walked past. And also, I suspect at the pools of Bethesda, there were plenty of other people who were um, infirm and mm. needing healing. But we only get told of one guy who gets healed. Yeah. I don't think Jesus healed the whole yeah. area. But yeah. it's, it's there's a selectivity about it. And, it's, uh, and again, because John includes it, it's a sign. Because he includes things of signs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this, this doesn't put hospitals out of business or anything. Like, it's not like, um, you know, people say, what was Jerusalem like in the first century? Well, there were absolutely no sick people, okay? Because these darn apostles went around and healed everybody. Um, it was... Uh, we, the, it, the, what we see is it's very public. Uh, word spreads and uh, people come, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, and, and, uh, and the miracles occur. All right. Um, any other questions on those verses? We only have about five minutes left, so it might not be uh, profitable to continue on. But the, 
the, the next form of persecution will come with another um, imprisonment by the leadership, which is also going to be interesting because what are, what are the apostles doing? Apart from killing two people, um, <laughs> uh, which is, they're not charged for this, right? They're, they're not brought to court. Like, oh my gosh, you know, there's actually been a death, this is a murder, let's get the police and investigate and throw people in prison. It's. You, they, <laughs> right. There was no weapon involved here, okay? Um, but what the but but the the and we're healing, we're casting out demons, and the result from our leadership is to do what? Try and stop it. Yes. Yeah, which is an interesting you know an interesting thing that even if people see miracles, it doesn't imply that they're going to come to faith in the future. Even if you see a miracle, you know, it doesn't imply that, uh, that, that it's because you're a believer or you're going to become a believer. And maybe that answers the reason why some people, the skeptics might say, well, if God can do these things, why doesn't he do more miracles? Because there's really no point. Well, Jesus' take on it is that, well, you have the law and the prophets. You have Moses and the prophets. Yeah. In, you know, in the story about the uh, uh, Dives and Lazarus and goes to... Uh, the place of the dead and wants to send a message back to his brothers who are heading in the same direction and then the story goes as you know well you know if someone rises from the dead they're going to listen to him and Jesus says no 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 no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah you think that's a big miracle no no actually it's the law and the prophets if they don't listen to them they will not pay any attention to even the most amazing miracle yeah and we can see that these these the party of the Sadducees which were which had the Torah that was pretty much all their Bible was. They they still can't come to grips with what they're seeing in front of their front of their face, and uh, and they're threatened by it, and they do their best to try and stop it. So uh, next week um, we'll throw Peter and John in prison, and uh, but they won't stay there <laughs> not for very long. All right, okay. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.